0: I mentioned in the introduction episode that we don't really get into anything that really sounds like a proper proverb until chapter 10, and that's true. The book begins with a brief preamble, which is followed by 12 poems about wisdom, 10 from the father to his son, and then two in the voice of woman wisdom. All of these poems are commending the banquet of Proverbs that is to come. We get into those immediately starting in verse 1 of chapter 10. Chapter 9, which we're reading here, is generally considered the epilogue to the prologue. It serves as a summary to all that has preceded, while also establishing a controlling metaphor for the content that follows. In chapter 9, two women prepare their homes for a feast. Woman Wisdom prepares her house, and Woman Folly prepares her house. They set their tables, they make everything ready, and then they stand out front and invite travelers in. That's the metaphor. There are two houses, two feasts, two women. If you go into the right house and consume the right meal, you will live and prosper. If you go into the wrong house and consume the wrong meal, you will die. The terms are exactly that stark. So as I mentioned, this epilogue does rather neatly summarize everything we've heard thus far while also serving to establish a controlling metaphor for what we're about to hear in the chapters that follow. Most of the Proverbs, particularly in chapter 10, are presented in some kind of binary format. So just flip forward in your Bible for a second. Look at Proverbs chapter 10. The first proverb there in Proverbs 10 verse 1 says, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son." is a sorrow to his mother. That's a contrast. The wise son makes his dad glad. The foolish son makes his mama sad. That's a binary presentation. That's a further way of saying, if you go into the right house and consume the right meal, then you will become the sort of person who makes his parents proud. But if you go into the wrong house and consume the wrong meal, then you will cause your parents deep regret. That's the general idea. In chapter 9, we're being told to anticipate a great feast of wisdom in the chapters that follow. We're being invited into the house of insight and understanding, and we're being told that if we come in and eat our fill, we will become healthy, successful, honorable people who will be a blessing to our society and a source of joy to our friends and loved ones. But we're being warned that not everyone will join us. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come and Eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. In these opening six verses, we're told that wisdom has built her house. She has put her principles to the test. Her beliefs and practices are on display. Come and check her out. She has laid down quite a feast. There will be food, meat, and choice wine. That's the basic setup. Now, you used to hear in certain circles that she mixed her wine, that phrase, meant she mixed her wine with water so as to dilute it. But that is to read the Bible through a 20th century American lens. According to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 22, adding water to wine is deceitful and deplorable. The fact that woman wisdom mixed her wine, according to Bruce Walkie, means here that she added something like honey and or herbs to make the wine more spicy, potent, and enjoyable, closed quote. The point is that she's prepared an excellent feast, the sort of feast that you would tell all your friends about, the sort of spread you could never afford to put on yourself, the sort of thing you imagine Fortune 500 companies are serving at their board retreats and executive functions. That's the idea here. In terms of her invitation, it is sent out specifically to young people who are simple or untaught. She's looking for aimless youths who have not yet come under discipline. To them, she says, leave your simple ways and live. Come in and feast on my bounty. Receive instruction in the ways of wisdom and life. In verses seven to 12, there is a poetic interlude wherein the composer of the poem comments on the various ways people respond to such an invitation. The poet, we presume Solomon, says, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight, for by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. So here, in between these contrasting pictures of the house built by woman wisdom and the house built by woman folly, we have a brief discussion about how people respond to these various invitations. Some people are offended by the mere suggestion that they might have something to learn, whereas other people are grateful for the opportunity and respond with joy. It really all depends upon the inner disposition of the heart. The one who fears the Lord will be eager to grow and improve. The one who is self-satisfied thinks only of the injury done to his pride. Derek Kidner comments on this poetic interlude saying, its content corrects the impression that men are saved or lost merely through an isolated, impulsive decision. The choice is seen ripening into character and so into destiny, Close quote. That is so important for us to understand. In this poetic interlude, Solomon is challenging us to consider our own initial response to an invitation to learn. Do you immediately resent the implication that you may not be perfect in your wisdom? then you have taken another step down the road that leads to destruction. Repent of that now and change your ways. Learn to be open to rebuke and correction. Recognize the privilege of learning and growing through exposure to the wisdom of the ages. Think long term. Remember that one day you will stand before your maker. Be eager to embrace everything and everyone that can better prepare you for that day. Each time you respond positively to correction and instruction, you take another step forward on the road that leads to life. It's not just about the first step. It's about every step. Listen again to what Kidner says. Choice is seen ripening into character and so into destiny. A human being is the product of a thousand choices, not just one. So keep your heart soft, keep your ears open, and keep your stomach full of the delicacies that may be found on woman wisdom's table. That's the lesson being offered here. Now, most commentators also identify a secondary purpose in this poetic interlude. There's a lesson here for those entrusted with the invitation for people to come in and learn as well. Remember, woman wisdom has just sent out her servants into the streets. And of course, this reminds the Bible reader of the parable told by Jesus about the banquet prepared by a king for his son. In Matthew 22, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. quote. So here, Jesus is doing that whole greater than Solomon thing. He's taking the basic shape and theme of this poetic interlude and transposing it into a New Testament key. In both cases, a very generous invitation has been extended. But in both cases, some people respond to that invitation with hostility. Now, why is that? In the poetic interlude in Proverbs 9, the answer seems to be, it depends on who they are at root scoffers have no fear of the Lord in their heart. They are arrogant and self-satisfied. And so they receive this invitation actually as a rebuke. If you're inviting me in to feast on your wisdom, then you must assume that I need wisdom. You must think I'm stupid. They become indignant and hostile. They begin to mock and revile those who have offered them this invitation. The poet here advises the one making the invitation to move on. Interestingly, Jesus says the same thing to his envoys. In Matthew 7, 6, he says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Closed quote. In Matthew 10, 14, he says, If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Remember, Jesus is wisdom incarnate. So he's not going to tell his disciples to do something that the Bible says is foolish. The Bible seems to be saying that if you are in the position of a messenger offering a generous invitation on behalf of another, then you mustn't be unduly delayed by arguing incessantly with unresponsive people. Extend your invitation broadly, and should you meet with mockery and hostility, move on. Alan P. Ross says here, one may perceive the potential to learn in such a person, but if met with such scorn, the effort should be abandoned, closed quote. Old Testament and new, that is wisdom. It is an act of utter folly and unfaithfulness to continue banging your head against a wall when there are so many other people out there who would be very eager to respond to the invitation you are making. So, hearers and messengers need to be wise. Alan P. Ross provides an excellent summary of all that we've learned so far. He says, in the final analysis, those who fear the Lord add to their learning and receive discipline will look forward to a long and productive life, quote. In verses 13 to 18 now, we have the contrasting picture of woman folly sitting outside her house and extending her invitation to the banquet that she has prepared. that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So in contrast to the great noble lady in the first depiction, woman folly is here described as loud. The New King James Version renders verse 13, a foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. I like that. Woman folly is clamorous. She is a noisy gong. A person like that gets attention, sure, but... Ultimately, she has nothing to say. There's an appearance of something there, but underneath there is absolutely nothing. And only the very gullible are taken in by her appeal. Her sales pitch is quite remarkable. She says that stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So her appeal is to the worst aspects of human nature. Derek Kidner, again, is marvelous here. He says, Eve had to be convinced that the sweetness would survive the stealing. We have fallen far enough to be persuaded that it depends on it, Closed quote. Kidner is saying that to the fallen person, all that is forbidden seems good. Woman Folly makes no effort to decorate her home. Her preparations pale in comparison to woman wisdom. She doesn't send out servants. She simply sits in a chair in front of her house and balls like a street vendor at passers-by. Her hook is baited with nothing more enticing than the promise that her wares are stolen and that her delicacies may be eaten in secret. People who are attracted to such an invitation deserve the fate they meet inside. As Jesus said in John 3, 19, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. What you choose tells the truth about who you are. So choose life, choose light, turn away from the house of woman folly and embrace wisdom. Now, I mentioned in a previous episode that many scholars believe that these introductory poems are intending to be heard in two parallel ways. On the one hand, this is a straightforward appeal to come into the house of wisdom and feast on the proverbs and maxims that will shortly follow. On the other hand, this is an appeal to reject the whore of Babylon and to walk in the ways of the covenant. Notice that both of these women built their homes at the highest point of the city. Woman Wisdom sends out her messengers from the highest places in the town. That's in verse three. Woman Folly takes her seat on the front porch of her house, which is on the highest places of the town. So these women are neighbors Tremper Longman III says here, In the ancient Near East, only one house is built on the high place of a city, and that is the temple. It is not a stretch, therefore, to suggest that wisdom is not only the personification of Yahweh's wisdom, but also of Yahweh himself. Close quote. He goes on to say about woman folly, She too represents deity, but in her case, she stands for all the pagan gods and goddesses who desire to lure Israel away from the true God. She stands for Marduk, Baal, Ishtar, Anat, Asherah, Chemosh, and Moloch, and the list goes on and on, closed quote. Thus, on whatever level you want to hear it, Proverbs 9 is an invitation to choose the path that leads to life. That's the message of the entire preamble, and that's a message that is remarkably easy to transpose into a New Testament key. At the end of the New Testament, we find a very similar summary and invitation. The Apostle John says, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty, come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price, Revelation 22, 17. The house is ready, the door is open, the table is set, and whosoever will may come. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into of the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting a mission project that is very close to my heart. The Letha Daycare Outreach Project is a church-based educational program designed to teach literacy, support low-income families, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with boys and girls in rural South Africa. I've seen this project with my own eyes. I have shaken the hands of parents whose families have been helped. I have heard the songs and Bible verses out of the mouths of some of these dear children as they have been taught and helped to put their trust in the Lord. And nothing would be more gratifying to me than for you to show your appreciation for In of the Word by investing in these little ones. You can do that in one of two ways. You can give through the End of the Word app or by visiting the Into the Word website at IntoTheWord.ca. Just click on the Give tab and you'll find giving options for both Canadian and American listeners. This is a registered project with ABWE Canada and ABWE USA. So tax receipts are available to all eligible donors. Just identify where you're listening from and click on the Fund button and select Letha Daycare Outreach.